On today's episode of Bill and Frank's Guilt-Free Pleasures, we talk about a song that's all about smooching and has nothing to do with witches. We talk about the proto-vocal fry, and we talk about the proto-manic pixie dream girl. Now get your head out of that bearded barley and listen to this podcast. This is our discussion on Kiss Me by Sixpence None the Richer. As we approach our nearly third year anniversary, it's still a few months away of starting the podcast, we've gained some popularity with the local community here in the Niagara region. Would you say so, Frank? Yeah, I would say that we have tens of unique listeners to the podcast. Yes, exactly. And uh, we've been getting requests, which is great. Now, today's song was actually requested twice. So a few months ago, a good friend of ours requested the song and... Let's call him, uh, I'll pick a name. Let's call him Pastor Mike. And he requested it, and I said, well, maybe. And Frank, I don't know, were you there, Frank? Because usually you just shoot I, down whatever he has to say. Typically, yeah, but I don't think I was there for okay. for that suggestion. Okay, that wasn't, I'm sorry I said that. That's not fair. Well, it's not untrue. <laughs> so I said, um, I don't know. I mean, that's like a, that's like really good. And usually we do songs that some people might not like or whatever, and I was thinking about it, and then... I was at the end of year assembly just before Christmas at school, and they did a show called Big Shiny 90s, which was awesome. And our good friend, Dave Kitchen, was standing beside me, and we saw this student get up and sing Kiss Me by Sixpence on the Richer, and it kind of just stopped everybody in their tracks. And Dave Kitchen leaned over and said, we got to do this song. And then I thought, yeah, that's a great idea. So... We brought Dave Kitchen onto the podcast. That's fantastic. Welcome, Dave Kitchen, to the podcast. Great to be back. Lucky number 13 for me. That's a baker's dozen there, Bob. I haven't quite got to the end of the story, though, with our good friend, Pastor Mike, who caught wind that Dave Kitchen was coming for lucky number 13, and he sent the following text yesterday. You're recording Kiss Me tomorrow? Like the one I suggested? Judas! I would like to say, though, that when you've been on the podcast... 12 other times that your suggestions carry a little bit more weight. That's why we decide to go with Dave instead of Mike on this one, I well, think. He's got 10 more uh, ten more visits and yeah. then we'll we'll get him there. Well, 11 now, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of waiting for Pastor Mike now to like burst in halfway through in some big expose, you know, where it's like, how could you? Yeah, I'm kind of expecting him to, to jump in at any moment here. Yeah, but with all that being said, I think we can have Mike back on the podcast when we finally do our Freak on a Leash episode. Well, because I won't be here, so then you'll need a co-host. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, Sixpence on the Richer, Kiss Me, pretty much one of the major songs of the 90s, but I forgot that it was actually major in 99. Came out in 98, but really sort of peaked in 99. Can we also just take a half a step back here, please? And can we address the fact that this would be technically our Valentine's Day episode? So, we picked a smoochy, lovey song for Valentine's Day. Well, I think Dave picked it. So, Dave, tell us why you like smooching so much. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I don't know what to say. <laughs> Kiss me Beneath the milky twilight Lead me Out on the moonlit floor Lift your open hand 
Let's talk band history, Frank yeah, and okay. Kitch. Ready? Okay, ready? I'm ready. First off, we need to talk about Sixpence None the Richer's name. Yeah. It came up quite beautifully on the Dave Letterman show when they were doing Kiss Me, the song, on the show. One of the rare moments is getting a happy Dave Letterman. And so Lee Nash mentioned how much she loved Dave Letterman, like she'd watch it every night with her husband. And when she's on the show, this was like a big dream of hers. And then the producer said, Dave wants you to come and sit with him after you sing, which almost never happens. Yeah. Unless your name's Warren Zevon, you're not going to the couch. And she got to go to the couch. Tilda West Brocket got invited to the couch, just so you know. Of course. Thanks, Frank. So famously, Lee Nash had explained to Dave Letterman the meaning of the band, which she didn't come up with. It was Matt Slocum, the cellist. And guitarist. guitarist. Yeah, who came up with it. And she had explained it to Dave Letterman, and it was super sweet, her explanation. And very well spoken, too. Like, she said it, and when you read the transcript, because I've seen the interview, and then you read yeah. the transcript, it reads beautifully. And yeah. she said it on the fly. And fighting her nerves, because David Letterman had to tell her a couple times, like, are you okay? The book is called Mere Christianity. Yeah. And it is in the passage, in what context do we find it? Oh, thanks for asking. I will quickly tell you. Um, Take all the time you need. Thank you. All right. Well, what's um, the matter? Are you I'm all right? scared. This of, is of awesome. What? This is just, all my dreams are being fulfilled. Let me tell a story, though. Um, there's a... <laughs> And he was really sweet during it because he, he stops her knowing that she's nervous and says, do you want me to come to your hotel afterwards? It's <laughs> <laughs> off grid. And she's laughing, but she's able to get it out. And I listened to an interview with her from a few years ago, and she said, oh, I wish I had been able to say more on the Dave Letterman show. It didn't come out right. And they said, no, you came out perfectly. And it did. And the idea of Sixpence Down to Richer comes out of the C.S. Lewis book, Mere Christianity. Where the idea of like a child asking to borrow money from the father and then buying the father a gift with the money he gave him. Yeah. But that the father's happy with the gift is how they feel about who they are in terms of the universe. That God has given us all money or whatever. They take it and they give a gift back, but they're not really giving anything they, that he didn't already have. Yeah. Does that sound about right? Yeah, it's a no. lateral move. No. <laughs> yeah, that's what, yeah, that's it. That was actually... The, you just written, quoted C.S. Lewis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but Dave Letterman would... He's really good because he talked Wait, about... C.S. Lewis say that? No. Oh. <laughs> no. But uh, Dave Letterman had basically said something like, if we could only all be that humble, the world would be a better place. And that was his move to say to her, I get what you're throwing down and it's all good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was wonderful. Mm -hmm. That's the origin of the name of the band. And the band... Well, Frank, we were talking about this. Matt Slocum heard Lee Nash singing in the choir, and she was how old? She was like 13 years 13 old. 13 years yeah. old. And he had written a song. So he was 17 years old. He had written a song and had her sing it for him. And then it wasn't for a couple of years until they actually created a band together. Yeah, and, and it she, must have been like three years, because yeah. I think uh, in 92 is when the band officially started, so she would have been 16 at that time. And they were signed to a label... That was under the CCM banner. And for our listeners, CCM is Christian Contemporary Music. It was a very particular type of music. Beyond being like... Christian well, Christian and contemporary. <laughs> yeah. That's very but particular. There are Christians who make music, but then in Christian Contemporary Music, you have to follow 
almost specific sets of rules to have your music out there. And it was um, a kind of strange world that they didn't quite fit in and they were eager to get out of, but that was where they began. I actually know this from reading an AOL interview from the mid-90s oh, wow. <laughs> with Matt Slocum. Uh, they asked him, this guy named Link LeFest, which I don't think is a real name. No, it doesn't sound real. No, from the Phantom Toll Booth. Okay, this is the 90s. You, no one ever thought that people would still be reading this today. He was asked, where do you see Sixpence going in the future? Would you like to stay in the Christian market or would you like to try to get into the mainstream market? And Matt said, it has always been our goal to enter the mainstream market, but that door hasn't opened to us yet. But when it does, we will definitely walk through it. I feel bad for the the Christian music community being used. They're clearly using the Christian music community just knowing that they're going to throw them away like a dirty towel when it's all over. Well, there's a strong history of this happening with... um, Look at Amy Grant. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say Katy Perry. Oh, yeah, there's that too, yeah. Start off in the Christian market. Evanescence also pulled that move. That's right. And then tried to pretend they weren't in the Christian market. That's right, yeah. Evanescence, we know where you came from. The band is from New Braunfels, Texas. They have a couple of albums on minor labels, and then their third album comes out, and it's just called Sixpence None the Richer. And that's the album where we get Kiss Me. Can I say? The I'll jur- allow you Okay, to. thanks. The journey to that third album was a long one. Yes. I got a message, actually, from Pastor Mike, and I was going to surprise Bill and Dave here today with the, the amount of research that I did, which was basically someone spoon-feeding me information, that there is about two degrees of separation between this podcast and Sixpence None the Richer, in the sense that this podcast exists, had the Julies on the podcast, the Julies were on the same record label as Sixpence None the Richer back in the 90s and 96. And there was this compilation album called, was it Starball? Yeah, Starball and, compilation or uh, contributions or something like that. Right, and so that was kind of like, I guess a famous or epic sort of indie christian album or christian adjacent album that is probably hard to find now but uh, but that got passed around a lot in the late 90s yeah so i was going to bring this in information and wow everybody is like oh look frank actually read something other than wikipedia but bill already knew this that's what you get for not coming to church this morning frank well there's that too Dave, are you impressed with my knowledge? I was going to say, this is the first time you've ever brought anything beyond Wikipedia to the podcast since I've been here on all my 13 episodes. So I'm very impressed, Frank. And I did not know this information, so it's hitting me like a Mack truck right now. Well done. So this isn't for the sake of Pastor Mike, who's not here, to defend himself or to support whatever I'm saying is true. But when he was at whatever college he was... um, he was studying at. In he was the, in Fresno at uh, in seminary. Oh, okay. So, that's what, yeah. so he met Sixpence on the Richer while they were in between the third and second album. Yeah. Before the the big album came out. And so he talked to Matt Slocum who said, hey, man, keep in contact. And he gave him his Hotmail address. Yeah. And so that was kind of like Pastor Mike's like um, claim to fame. Yeah. And then he promptly lost it, he says. That's right. And so I was texting Chris Newkirk to ask if this was true and if the Julies got caught into this because they released an album and both Sixpence and the Julies ended up stuck because the um, 
record company got bought out and I think there was some nefarious dealings going on by the company that bought them. And so everyone was waiting till they could release music. Whenever anyone says like nefarious dealings, I picture a guy with a like a pencil mustache that he's twisting like, you know, menacingly and, and has that sort of laugh. Right, right. <laughs> That's what all record label, all record execs look like to me in my mind. With the big smoke and cigar, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, I mentioned this to Chris that we potentially had Matt Slocum's hotmail address, and then he immediately just sent me Matt Slocum's phone number <laughs> while we were sitting here. <laughs> Seriously. So, yeah, depending on how this goes, well or bad, we might be calling Matt Slocum in about an hour to ask him questions yeah. about <laughs> this song. They end up out of their record deal with, I think it was Platinum Entertainment, who had bought out their record company. And they end up signing with Steve Taylor's Squint Records. Now, Steve Taylor is a big deal in the CCM world because uh, he wrote all the Newsboys uh, lyrics for their, their major albums. Okay. Frank, you don't sound interested in that at all. No, I'm looking something up right now on the Wikipedia. See, I had, oh, see, I read initially Steve Tyler, and I'm just like, it's like, why did the guy from Aerosmith produce this (laughs) album? That's what I thought too, yeah. Steve Taylor was like a major lyricist, so for huge, like, platinum-selling Christian bands. Yeah. And he's edgy enough that he's not going to be forcing the sort of weirdo CCM stuff on them. Gotcha. This song is nothing like the album. Did you guys listen to no, the album? Yeah, Re-listen to it at all? This no. song is way bouncier, way popier than the rest of the album. And I know there's people, Pastor Mike, who are big fans of their like early material and the stuff they do. I'm a big fan of this. Yes. And so to me, this is it. And they said, oh, we wouldn't have released this as a single. But the record company was like, no, this is the single. And when I hear it, I'm like, of course it's a single. Yeah, it's the only singleable song on the album, I would well, say. That, and that is the issue, is that in the end, they didn't have a follow-up single on the ready. They had to do a, a remake of The Laws, yeah, there, there She, she Goes. goes they, yeah. There wasn't anything that matched this. Yeah, always a sign of a band who's tapped out their creative potential when their follow-ups to big songs are covers. Yeah, and I think they almost seemed like they were okay with... Well, you know what? People say that after... The, their stars kind of faded where it's like yeah we're okay not to have another hit like if it were me i'd be okay with another hit like sugar ray you can live off this stuff yeah yeah and actually matt slocum he wrote the song he's the sole yeah, he's songwriter. the sole songwriter yeah so i have here the spotify rap for 2023 because lee nash posted it on her instagram and i can tell you how many times six pence on the richer was streamed this song or the band well can we just kind of assume that it's probably this One song? One of the same. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, it could be There She Goes. They also did a cover of Don't Dream yeah. It's Over yeah. and uh, another cover. Um, oh, I can't ever remember what it is now. Let me find Freak it. on a Leash? Yes. <laughs> that would be amazing. Last year, 155.9 million streams, 31 million listeners. That means 31 million people actually listened to, say, 30 seconds of the song. Yeah. 31 million. Wow. Now, with that, you do get paid some money. Yeah. And so I think Matt Slocum oh, he's probably doing making, okay. and, and with all the sort of licensing, licensing, he's got to be making, I, I'm just going to guess, like, there's got to be six figures coming in with that song. Yeah. I think he's doing okay. Yeah. He doesn't have to give his Hotmail address out to random people. I was just going to say, I wonder if he's still doing For to surf on later. I bet you he's got a Gmail now. Oh, probably. Do you have a Gmail? Yeah. 
We have a Gmail. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because we were big time. Oh, yeah. Easy on the Hotmail. It's my go-to. It's my... <laughs> that's right. That is, you're still Hotmail. I got made fun of when I rented a car in Utah. <laughs> Back in March, the, the guy's like, you got a Hotmail? I'm like, but it's my name. No underscore, no numbers, just my name. <laughs> now we know how to reach out to you. Yeah. Listeners all across the world. <laughs> okay. the, what, what did you say earlier? Tens of listeners? <laughs> Tens of listeners. <laughs> Okay, so Kiss Me does really well, but not initially. It does fairly well. Yeah. They go to every single market possible, apparently played at like every radio station they could find. Mm -hmm. But the song kind of charts, but not too high, and then disappears. But then... She's all that. Mm Mm-hmm. But it was also on Dawson's Creek as well. Yeah. And it made it onto the CD, like the soundtrack CD, like... Season two of Dawson's Creek, these are the songs that you hear, whatever season it would have been, which was big in the 90s, if you remember. A lot of popular shows that had music playing throughout them would put out these soundtrack CDs. Like, well, I remember the, the Friends, Friends did that for their yeah, first yeah. season. and Was it just Phoebe singing that stupid song about a cat? No, no, I, that was on it, though. I bought it because I had to have a third version of Toad the Wet Sprocket's Good Intentions. Because I had it only on two other CDs, but it was a release that I had to have. They might have made more money on your single purchase of that CD (laughs) than on 100,000 streams of that song. (laughs) Kiss Me ends up rising to number two. And She's All That was the the big one because Freddie Prince and the other person in the... Rachel Rachel Lee Lee Cook. Cook. Okay, all right. You guys have seen this. I read the play. Uh, I'm pretty sure the play was based on the movie. She's All That was based on uh, Pygmalion and My Fair Lady. Basically, right? I don't know. I never saw the movie. You never saw the movie? No. Why are you looking at me with interrogating eyes? I didn't see the movie, okay? Did you see the movie? I have not seen it. Am I the only one in the room that's seen the movie? While we were in university, did you not go with girls that you wanted to date, but you're too terrified to make a move on, and you just sat there quietly beside them watching the movie? Yeah, I saw it in the theaters. I remember the scene when this song comes on. It's when Rachel Lee Cook is walking down the staircase after she gets her glow up and it's in slow-mo. And that was my introduction to the song. This is what mid-late 90s Frank music was all about. Female singer-songwriter, jangly pop music. This song was basically described my 90s. And it kind of was a harbinger of the end of the 90s. Yes. Because of how positive the tune is. And so we were kind of hit our stride in the early 90s because that's when we were in high school. I would say that it was a a feature of the 90s was the sort of alienated listener, the, you know, not just grunge, but kind of that idiosyncratic kind of personality type. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Even the movie is, you know, it's got, the, it's that classic trope of like the girl's a nerd and then she takes her glasses off and she was hot the entire time. Yeah. yeah. Which is kind of funny because like whenever a guy yeah. does that, it's like the, the Clark Kent thing where yeah, the guy takes the glasses off. Yeah, whenever a guy does that, off, he's just Superman. He becomes strong and, <laughs> yeah. when, and when a girl does it, she becomes the object of a man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is kind of funny. Oh, man. Like, she was attractive before she got the glow up and everything. She was just a social outcast. Or not a social outcast, but she was just socially awkward. And it's two fellows who wear glasses all the time. You, you kind of hope that they see the beauty underneath. Exactly. I mean, you know, glasses don't define us. Yeah. Do Take they, off Frank? your glasses. Let the world see your beautiful eyes, Dave. <laughs> hey, for the third year anniversary of our podcast, we're going to do a Frank glow up. 
You're going to walk out of the Winchester. We're going to, you know. Am I going to get frosted tips in a faux hawk? Oh, yes. It's going to be like your own. It is not 2016 anymore, Bill. It's going to be like a quinceanera for you, Frank. We're going to debut you. You're going to come down the (laughs) staircase. It's going to be amazing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, back to this song. Back to this song. Yeah, yeah. It hits number two. It would kind of stall the number six, then somehow shot back up to number two, and it's kept off by TLC's No Scrubs. Oh, number well, three. Number no three. No shame in that. No, none, none at all. Number three was Believe by Cher. Number four, Sugar Ray, Every Morning. Oh wow! And number five, What's It Gonna Be? Busta Rhymes featuring Janet. Did any more we want to say about song history? Well, we should talk about how the song was written. Yes. Yeah. Because I was surprised to hear you say that the band was kind of reluctant about making it a single because I read somewhere that they were touring and Matt Slocum came up and showed her the song. And it was like before the show, I guess he was just tinkering with his guitar and then played the song and then they played it in the show that night. Yeah. She liked it so much. Wow. They they rehearsed it. They learned it that night and played it. And it was a hit every time they played it. Yeah. Before they recorded it. Yeah, I we need to talk about this lyrically. And I don't know when to bring it up. Maybe I'm holding back, you two, because I know something. I found something out. Now I don't know what to do with it. Dylan Thomas. Yes. He wrote a short story. So we should also say that Matt Slocum was reading a lot of Dylan Thomas at the time, correct? Yeah, that would probably help with what I just yeah. said. You're right. Very good, Frank. <laughs> people were really confused uh well maybe if you read wikipedia like in order like i do you'd be able to present your thoughts a little bit more cohesively he's in his early 20s when he's writing this i think dylan thomas or no matt slocum so let's see he's probably wrote this around 96 is my guess and so he's 24 and so he's been reading pablo neruda and Dylan Thomas. So I imagine he's reading a lot of poetry, but then he's moved to Dylan Thomas short stories. Mm-hmm. And so there's a collected stories that has a whole bunch of early Dylan Thomas things in there. And so I had, there's an interview with Lee Nash talking about this song. I'm going to play it for you right now because this shocked me. Kiss Me is, is actually even a lot older than the album is. And um, I came over and, and he had been reading a Dylan Thomas uh, book of stories and it just was inspired by one of the stories. It's really not by, um, it's not about a girl or anything romantic really like that. It's supposed to be sort of an innocent story, more like a childlike romance than anything sassy. <laughs> so you heard that. She's saying it's more about childhood innocence, not about anything. What was the word? It's she not used? about smooching? It's not about smooching, although that is totally not true when you read the lyrics. Yeah. I want to frame it that way, that she's saying she went over to see him, he had Dylan Thomas stories, and then she explains it's more about childhood innocence. Okay. That makes sense to me. Okay. This reminds me a lot. There's a, uh, a novel called Atonement. There's a character in it who, when she's a kid, she writes stories. And there's a line that says something about the idea that the wedding was the ultimate consummation of their love. She couldn't, she was so young, she couldn't imagine anything. So I think when, when kids are kids and they think about romance, a kiss is the ultimate act, Yeah, right? They don't understand anything beyond that. So I could see how this fits in with that kind of vision. So I'm saving the Dylan Thomas reference till we get to it in the song when we go through. So let's start by kind of going into the song here. So it starts very uh, lovely.
it opens up with that sort of jangly guitar. Very familiar. I love that. This sort of hits the sort of Frank Pearson checklist of songs that oh, he's yeah. going to love in the late 90s. Yeah. Jangly guitar, female vocalist, accordion. Yes, please. It's all there. Lyrics about smooching. Check. Done. Right. And very first lyric, kiss me. All right. Let's talk about that first verse. Kiss me out of the bearded barley, nightly beside the green, green grass. Swing, swing, swing the spinning step. You wear those shoes and I will wear that dress. Sounds like a pretty crappy situation for the guy. I mean, she's fully clothed and he's just there in his shoes. <laughs> That's funny. Which is, that. What's he wearing? There's no way. Like, he doesn't even have socks on. <laughs> yeah, you can't look worse than being completely naked except for your shoes. Yeah. It's the worst look a man can have, and that's how she envisions him. I know we're going to jump into the lyrics here and everything, but before we get too bogged down with all our technical English mumbo jumbo and all of that, they do this really, really cool little echo thing in the song. In so the I, single version. In the single version, right. yes. So in the first verse and in the second verse, it comes through. And what I love is it's in that third line. It says, swing, swing, swing the spinning step, but it's swing, swing. Then you hear that echo swing swing and it just plays on the visual of actually swinging because swinging is a repetitive back and forth motion so that echo of it swing 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 is just Ah. the back and forth and it just it paints that picture lyrically and it checks another box for me just that subtle airy little echo from a female singer i just love that i think it's fantastic and the time has come for me to talk about the dylan thomas story okay I'm going to need your help here, guys, because I'm coming into this having read this story last night, and it was not a good experience. <laughs> oh, no. Dave, you finished Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy? Yes. It took me days to finish that book. I'll get back to this story, but I read Blood Meridian, and it put me in the hospital because I started to get a panic attack while getting through the last four pages. Oh, really? And by the time I got to the end, I had chest pains, and they wouldn't go away for like a day, and I ended up in emergency thinking I was having a heart attack, but it turned out to be a panic attack. I know it was caused by Blood Meridian. It was horrifying. So, something kind of similar, but luckily I've been able to deal with my issues through the three years of this podcast. I read the Dylan Thomas short story. Lee Nash said it was about childhood innocence. I want to know what she's talking about because this is not about childhood innocence. Well, do you know it's the same story? Yes. Okay. I do. What's the story called? The story's called The School for Witches. That's funny that you say that because there's a lot of pagan imagery in this song. Yes. It's very pagan. Oh, my goodness. Right? So, I was wondering. I was surprised that it would come from a Christian band because this has a lot of that kind of, you know, moonlight out in the fields. A woman. (laughs) <laughs> out in the fields i mean not they even allowed yeah. to do that back then all right listen i'm gonna tell you this story okay story is about well i don't know totally what it's about but i'll just frame it for you some doctor is having like this delirious fever dream but the dream isn't this he's just feels like he's hearing things but in his house the doctor's daughter is actually running this kind of school for witches so the 
daughter has these like seven, I don't know, acolytes around her that she's teaching how to be witches. And the imagery is super um, horrific to me. Okay. I was really bothered by it. There's like a baby's birth. I'm not sure if the baby survived at the end either. It was really dark. Okay, so that's the sort of framing of it. So all these people get uh, wrapped up in this whir. I don't know if it's a whirling dervish, if that's the term. But there's this sort of the the coven ends up doing this dance in a circle, and they bring all these people into it, and it ends up being like thirteen people in it. Thirteenth episode, Dave, in this sort of whirling thing, and there's a baby involved, and it's really weird. So here's the paragraph that I want to read to you. It says, "Sister, raise your right hand." The seventh girl, so this is one of the kids in her school, raised her right hand. Now say, said the doctor's daughter, rise up out of the bearded barley. Rise out of the green grass asleep in Mr. Griffith's dingle. Say, the devil kisses me. The devil kisses me, said the girl, cold in the center of the kitchen. Kiss me out of the bearded barley. Kiss me out of the bearded barley. The girls giggled in a circle. Swive me out of the green grass. Swive me out of the green grass. Clearly, as you two can see, I am perturbed by this. The reason I am perturbed is that the one she's asking to kiss her is the devil. Yeah. And there are words here. Swive doesn't mean nightly beside the green, green grass. Well, if it meant that he would say nightly. (laughs) Thank you, Frank. Swive can mean both harvesting... But more commonly, I think in Ireland, when it was used, it meant another word. Swive is another term for sexual intercourse, Frank. So, so then the bearded barley is in play. Yeah. Then, as, as a sexual innuendo. For sure. There's, so this opens up the whole entire song that this could be playing with some entendres. It's not just something innocent. And so okay. I sit here wondering how I can deal with this song now. Okay, but think about the context in which it was written by a 24-year-old yeah, who's just listening to the lyrical play of the words and not necessarily understanding. At 24, would you understand what swive means? No. And back then, he wasn't able to just tap it on his phone to yeah. see that it meant that. But he did but change the word. I'll give Sixpence a pass on this. Like, the story's disturbing, yeah. But I'll give Sixpence a pass on this. This song's about smooching. Yeah, well, I agree with that because I think if you're 24 and you're reading Dylan Thomas, then you probably are exploring these things. You're not just reading him to debunk him. You're probably reading him to enjoy the thing. So it, it, it lends to a darker take on the song. Wait, and it, so you agree with me or with Bill? I agree with Bill, I think. Wait, what are you saying? I say I think they get a pass because what 24-year-old understands Thomas like that? No, I think I think he's probably intentional. I he, think that he's not just being pretentious and reading Thomas. And, <laughs> yeah, no, that, <laughs> no, there's definitely that. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I just think that this is sort of like, I know he's not in youth group, but there'd be people in youth group who want to push the edge of things. And so I have a feeling he's writing a sweet love song, but also purposely with an edge to it. Yeah. With an edge. And I think he knows but the song's not about like devil babies. No, because in the the in the book it was a devil baby that was born. Yeah. So I still know what happened with the baby at the end and all this, but I feel he's writing the song, but maybe it's a joke for himself to put in language out of this very disturbing story. Matt, not funny. I think this works well because I don't think I've ever had like a romantic Valentine's Day. And the whole sentiment is, you know, a little bit lost on me at the at this point. This is the least romantic Valentine's 
themed episode in podcast history. It is. We were doing so well, and then it's like really about a coven. When it was. I just want. Sorry. Like I like horror stuff and everything. I just wanted to talk about a song about smooching. I know, and I did too. Until I did my research, I just didn't know the rabbit hole I was going down was a snake pit. Okay, I'm going to put this out there. Knowledge and information ruins everything. You know what, Frank? Pastor Mike's not here to say it, but that's Garden of Eden. Wait, this song by Iron Maiden? No. Or Butterfly? This is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This is what I do when I do research, I just want to be blissfully ignorant, which is why I read Wikipedia and that's it. All right. I needed to get that out. I got it out. Yeah. Well, I'm shocked that you've invited me here for this. I did not expect a Valentine's Day episode that would go so dark. But it does seem like kind of a pagan kind of situation that they're in. The darkness, the fireflies, the, you know, the romantic sentiments, you know, it could go either way. Because only pagans like romance, right, Dave? (laughs) Maybe he's just trying to redeem it, eh? Yeah. Asking for kisses in the dark and the moonlit floor. This yeah. has ritual sacrifice all over it. <laughs> it has Hallmark movie. Like, okay. No, you're right. These are the visuals that I'm pulling. Okay, Wait. okay. Bring us back, Frank. Bring us back. Bring us are back Hallmark to the light. movies all pagan movies? This is another thing we need to explore, maybe. American Werewolf and Hallmark. Yeah. Uh, I have a great script I've been working on. Okay, we haven't even made it out of the first verse yet. We haven't. So can well, you can help me out because you did a really good job on the swing swing because there was no swings in the Dylan Thomas thing. So I can let this go. And uh, help me understand the shoes and the dress. Why is it kind of sweet? I don't know. Just this. Well, I think there's something about the dance with the with the shoes. Well, yeah, I think she's asking him basically to dress in a particular way in maybe in a matchy kind of way so that... When they're dancing and smooching on the dance floor, that they look cute together. That's all I take it. I I take it. I'm very superficial, guys. I think you guys know this. You've seen the girls that I try to date. <laughs> <laughs> so this is like that dance at the end of Fandango. I love yeah. bringing this up, knowing that you have a picture of Kevin Costner, but can't remember that movie. I can't remember that movie. It's been so long since I've seen Fandango. All right, let's go to verse two. Are we not even going to hit the chorus? All right, let's hit that chorus and uh, bring you back to the light here, Frank. Okay, you've re- like I'm sorry, I've Frank. lost so much on this song here. I'm, <laughs> let's get I'm that fighting moment. you with your. Listen, I don't want to go there. I I don't. But I don't think the sentiment of this song is that we're about five minutes from away from you driving me to the hospital. Yeah, pretty much because oh. I'm going to physically fight you with my adult muscles. Oh, kiss me beneath the milky twilight. Lead me out on the moonlit floor. Lift your open hand. Strike up the band and make the fireflies dance. Silver moons sparkling. So kiss me. That, in my mind, and this is if we go with the Hallmark movie category, it's an open field. There's a dance floor in the middle of this field. Like, it's just this sort of, like, rustic, romantic sort of thing. Yeah. I don't know. That's, no, that's, I agree. Yeah. I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, this is why. Stop talking about devil babies. 
I just want you to exercise this short story from me. Had I not I'm read trying it. to. All right. Yeah, I'd like to as well because I don't want Bill to think that maybe the band, which would not be out in the middle of a field, but a group of witches could be, <laughs> that the band is a band of witches. And I definitely don't want Bill to think yeah, or else maybe he, that the fireflies would've... dancing are the sparks that come from their murky cauldron. You know, I no. Stop it. Stop it, you guys. <laughs> And Lee Nash said, and Kitsch was quoting earlier to us, I don't know if it was on or off, Mike, but that there was an edgier version of the lyrics. But I'm like, oh, I know what the edgier version is. But hers was like, instead of silver moon sparkling, it was cigarettes sparking. Yeah. Like, Lee, that's so sweet. That's exactly. Super badass, by the way. In yeah. the 90s. No, I agree with you, Frank. I, I do read this as just a very fairy tale-ish, yes. girly kind of take on, you know, romance. And it's just this great... Great scene. And there's time immemorial, people sneaking out into the dark to, you know, maybe have a kiss. You know, yeah, it steal, makes sense. Steal a kiss or to ask one to be stolen from oneself. Yes. All right. Verse two, Frank? Yeah. Okay. All right. Here we go. We're back on track now. We're back on track. The inspiration of the song may have been a little bit more nefarious as I twist my mustache here. But I think the song itself is about smooching, right? Smooching and romance. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're on the same page here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't have to yell anymore. You don't have to. But I can still, right? Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Kiss me, kiss me, toil and trouble, fire burn. (laughs) Oh, come on. Sorry. All right. All right. All right. Back to it. Back to it. Kiss me, kiss me, down by the broken tree house. Swing me. You'll love this part. Swing me. Upon its hanging tire. Bring, bring. Bring your flowered hat. We'll take the trail marked on your father's map. My favorite verse here. Yeah, they do that echo thing again. It just, it's warm. It's warm and it's not on the original album version. Yeah. Right? So they added to this later to punch it up for the single. Double tracked, you said. Double tracked for sure. They have that that, and then they're echoing. So she's with herself there like a coven. Um, (laughs) Come on. This this verse brings it even more towards frank what you're trying to say i feel like because it's rooted in very basic farm kind of field imagery right you got the the swinging tire yeah the uh the broken tree house is very childlike stuff the one thing the the trail marked on your father's map i don't quite know what to do with it it reminds me of that bit from seinfeld where jerry was trying to talk dirty to his girlfriend and he said like the clothes that your your mother laid out for you the night before (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you remember that episode. No. no. <laughs> it was like somebody told him like, oh, you should try like talking dirty to your, to your girlfriend. And that's the thing that he said. And, oh. and it freaked out the girl so much that she left. <laughs> but like, I don't get the father's map bit, but everything else is very basic. Well, I think that this whole area where the tire swing and where this is all happening, it's a secret place. It's marked out on a map. You take a left at the old tree, 10 steps past the old mill towards the creek. And then you follow the trail. That, that's marked on his father's map. There's something sweet about the idea that there's like the lineage of going to some place that his father would have been to. Yeah, that's where his father brought his best girl, who was his mom. Yeah, well, but that there is that feel to it, right? Yeah. It's, it feels very sweet. 
Yeah. Right? That there's, there isn't anything witchy about this. No. Can that, we say that I like sweet music? Yeah, I don't think we need to. I think everyone knows by okay. now. But you got the, the broken tree house, which kind of connotes the passing of time. You're yeah. past your childhood. So you have the broken tree house has been long ago. But there's sort of a coming back here, right? But she wants to be swung on the tire. And so there is a return to childhood innocence, mm-hmm. as she talked about because she hadn't read the story. And then he, she says to bring his flowered hat. Now, in the version I'm listening to, which, of course, is the song, she says, like, heart. It sounds like she's saying heart. Bring your flowered heart. But it's hat? Yeah. It almost has that fry voice thing that destroyed early 2000s to 2020 music for a female vocalist. I, w- I would like to talk about that. Yeah. Okay. At some point. It doesn't have to be right now, but that's a major thing. This is a groundbreaking song because yes. it feels like it introduces a style that you just talked about. I don't think I know what you're talking about necessarily. Oh, okay. So I've been going down a rabbit hole about the indie girl voice. Oh, And it's a thing and it's very popular. And there's a, I don't know if you know about TikTok, Frank, but uh, all the kids are into it. Okay. So I'm going to play this. So this is where it is now, right? Is this the guy in his his, um, kitchen? kitchen? Oh, that's the best. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to my kitchen. We have bananas. In Avicai. First time I heard it, I was like, is he doing Bjork? Yeah. But, but then, you, like, this is a... a like, like an a, affectation. That- an Alyssa Cara. It's kind of like, like, this is the new... Uh, yeah, it's an affectation. So, vocal fry is when, like, the voice goes, like, it off at the end. Uh, That's yeah, vocal yeah, yeah, yeah. fry. Yeah. So, anyway, there's there's a whole genre. And I... I first got into it when uh, I saw Dan Mangan, who's a Canadian singer-songwriter, and he he tweeted, he's like, why does everybody sound like they're toddlers right now? But it's that it's that kind of affectation that they do. And there's a there's a touch of this in this song. Oh, okay. And so it's way ahead of its time in terms of what it how it's been parodied or mimicked or whatever. Yeah, because it's, it's called vocal fry. Oh, okay. And so I call this proto-fry. Yeah. This is before it happens. But I feel when I hear Lord who has a, a name that has several vowels in it, because the whole thing is about playing with vowels in this sort of way. But isn't Lord seems to be like Master of the Fry. Yeah. Fry Master, if fry I master. may throw that down. Yeah. To me, it was just like a bad time for Bill Hauser listening to music. Yeah, 2010s is yeah. massive. Okay. It's a huge thing. Uh, Lee Nash, thanks a lot. Yeah. Flowered hat? There's something sweet about wearing a flowered hat. I've never worn a flowered hat, though. Have you? No, not that I can think of. I did once have someone put my... So back in high school when I had long hair, yeah, I had... This will surprise you, but I let a girl that I was kind of interested in, you know, just play with my hair and, and put it up into a, a different style where she made like almost Princess Leia buns on the side of my head. And then I got threatened by everybody at the school because I just kept it in because I was like, hey, why not? Yeah. And then you got put in that carbonite for like three years. Yes, there's that too. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm glad we're getting back to the sweetness here. Yeah. Okay. okay. Uh, and then it goes back to that chorus, but then we get to the musical interlude. Yes. Which is, I think, a huge selling point for all of us. Well, it has that accordion in it. Yeah. Actually, I have a couple of notes about the instrumentation, which I think the instrumentation is awesome in this song the jangly guitar it just really really suits it there's a light airy playfulness about the song the bass i think is an unsung all-star of the song listen to it just play throughout but then accordion for the win yeah yeah Yeah. 
accordion just punctuates everything on this song. It's a squeeze box in the video, but you can't make that sound without a true accordion. Yeah. And they didn't have the guts to put an accordion in the video. They had to go hipster. <laughs> hipster before hipsters were a thing. Oh, my goodness. Proto-hipster. Proto-hipster. Is it, is it not a squeeze box? Because it sounds very much like the Italian kind of thing. It's the Italian accordion. Is it? Yeah, at least in this. Uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with you there on Accordion for the Win. The single version punches up all the right instruments. Yes. Now, listening to the album version, to me, the weak spot comes out. And I don't know if this is true for all 90s music. I feel it is for a lot of the 90s rock I listen to. The drums sound so uninspired to me. Okay. So when I hear the drums, especially in the album version, it just feels like someone's drumming... They're just keeping time. Keeping time. Like, you could have a drum machine do this, and there wasn't anything fun that a drummer would want to do live. And I feel like that was what's missing. But when we listened to the single version in here, because I had been unknowingly listening to the album version all week, but when I heard the single version, I'm like, oh, there it is. Oh, this is great. And so the bass was punched way up. Yeah. And guitars, of course, maybe even layered a bit more, but the drums were just kind of pushed to the back because there wasn't anything special about it, which might explain why... There's not necessarily a consistent drummer in yeah. this band. Yeah, it took a while to get someone who's there for with any sort of longevity. I mean, we're coming from a city that brought Neil Peart to the world, so maybe, uh, you know, kind of a bit biased. And so the song ends with a repeat of the chorus and then the outro. Yeah. So kiss me, so kiss me, so kiss me. Maybe throwing uh, some cure in there. I like the way that Lee Nash is singing it at the end. I don't even know how to explain it, but it's not demanding it's not begging it's confident yeah there, there's yeah. a confidence about it right it's beautiful it is thank you frank because dylan thomas had ruined my night last night but i feel like i'm back on track yeah song about smooching it, but it's lovers who are familiar with each other yeah. yeah or there could be an early relationship but it's not as though like oh if only we could be together like they're together enough that it's like listen kiss me yeah the togetherness aspect is cool because uh there's that line lift your open hand the open hand it 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 implies take my hand in yours yeah but it says lift your open hand which is then the partnership the i'll carry you kind of stuff too so the hand imagery in a relationship is always really really kind of powerful to me and he strikes up the band i feels like even with the hand like to strike up the band i feel like that the power of that hand is like fireflies dancing all the things that that a probably... witch would do? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, we had built we had built a good spot. Man. I was gonna say, like, have you not been out in a field or in a forest and just watching fireflies in a meadow? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, like with it your best magical, girl or something, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> trying to steal a kiss? No, no, there's no stealing. It's all implied. It's all. It's it's. This is this is song is 25 years ahead of its time. In the sense that it's completely consensual. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, is, it is. What's the What's the name of the guy who said, steal my kisses from you? Ben something or other? Franklin. Ben Franklin. Oh, man. He got struck by lightning. Yeah. No, I have no <laughs> idea. Ben, uh... ben Harper. Oh, Ben Harper. Oh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. innocent yeah. criminals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when was that? 
Probably just a few years later, I think. It was like early 2000s, maybe? 1999. Son of a gun. So, a year later. So, already we have Sixpence just saying, kiss me. Yeah. And he's complaining he's got to steal kisses. Yeah. He should have hooked up with Sixpence. All right. I feel we got most of the song kind of down pat here. Should we talk videos? Oh, yes, please. Yeah. Yeah. So there are three. I think there's videos? 19 videos. Yeah, there's on 19 this thing. different it's, videos. It's ridiculous. Oh, yeah. The first one that they released was the black and white one in Paris. Yeah. With the, uh, the the Francois Truffaut yeah, thing. Yeah. Basically, an homage to Jim and Jules. Truffaut? No, that was a film that he had. I got that straight from Wikipedia. I feel the black and white is kind of a nothing video to me. I'm not a big fan of it. I kind of like it. Okay. I thought it was right. fun. There's one of the three of us. Kitsch? I, I didn't mind it based on, only in comparison to the other one. The other ones are just Hollywood sort of throwaway nothing videos. It's Hollywood screaming, we need a video to support our movie, but we have no ideas. So yeah. we're just going to throw a bunch of people on a bench. Yeah. We're going to throw the leads, right? Because Freddie Prince Jr. and Rachel Lee Cook are in the video. Mm-hmm. And and they just sit on a bench looking perturbed, which betrays the song. Because we've talked yeah. about this. We yeah, know yeah. what the song is, right? It's about yeah. a bunch of witches. No, it's, <laughs> no, it's like it, well, it, it, explains it betrays why. the love that they have, right? It's all about the, the relationship going in a forward direction. But they've taken the the stars of the movie, but put them in the first half of the movie where they, they're not talking to each other. So it's just a lot of frustrated looks and gazes and stuff like that. And then you've got the lead singer who they don't know what to do with because she's pixie-ish. Yeah, yes. almost manic pixie dream girl, but not quite. Before they th- that had been defined, right? Because right, yeah, it right, wasn't right. really till the 2000s that that came out as a trope. Proto-pixie so, dream girl. Proto-pixie This dream band girl. is so leading Ahead edge. of their time. I really do feel like they didn't know what to do with her yeah. as, a, as a starlet because it's not a song you can really dance to, yeah. but she's got the short hair. She doesn't fit the... The, you know, I'm using air quotes here, but like the the kind of traditional leading lady of a right, band right. or whatever, yeah. right? So it's just a lot of identity crisis is going on in that, that Hollywood one. Such a missed opportunity to me to just take the song's lyrics and put it out there. The idea of them dancing in the moonlight. They yeah. could have done exactly what the song says. Would it could be great. like Neil Young's Harvest Moon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And it would have been beautiful. There's also a version of the video that doesn't have Freddie Prince and Rachel Lee yeah. Cook. And so it's... There's the Paris version, which I think that they did before definitely. the album came out and was released. Then they did the video, which didn't have Freddie Prince Jr. and Rachel Lee Cook in it. And then they added them in as promo for the movie. I mean, it looks like they were there because the, the shot of them sitting on the bench is like the same. Like, yeah. So I don't get it. Also... I'm just thinking off the top of my head here, there was so much money in the 90s that you could have a song in a small little Christian indie label and convince your record execs to fly you to Paris to shoot a video. Yeah. That's insane. Well, I think they probably did it while they were on tour because, I mean, they were on tour when they wrote the song and it was in the Netherlands, right? So they must have been touring all the time anyways. I'm really looking forward to when we do our recordings throughout Europe in the summer. I know. We can finally do videos for the podcast. In black and white, though. In black and white, yeah. Do you got any more to say about the videos? No, I think the videos are... I like the French one. I yeah. like the... I, I, well, it's yeah. not even French because it's sung in English. 
but the black and white one. I kind of like that one. I think I like the Americanized version because it was easier for me to understand just like how I don't like to watch any of the Francois Truffaut movies. Yeah, gotcha. It's amazing how often he's talked about and how little I know of anything he's done. <laughs> I couldn't care less. It's Fahrenheit 451, did he? Yeah. Category time, Frank and Kitsch? I'm in. All right. First, I'm out. <laughs> okay. I got a, a new one for you. Okay. First song that Taylor Swift learned on the guitar. What's true, this one? true story. <laughs> true yeah. story. Yeah. She brought it up twice yeah. on both a Vogue like interview or it might have been Vanity Fair. I have it on in somewhere. It started here. with a V. It started with a V. And also on the Jimmy Fallon show where she brought it up during yeah. one of their competitions. Sixpence, none the richer. That you was got the, the first time I learned to play on guitar. Yeah. I don't know. Pretty big song. If Taylor Swift cuts her teeth on this song for the guitar, she's got good taste in music. I mean, have you listened to her stuff? It's pretty good. All right. So there's our Taylor Swift category. All right. I got a uh, a good category. Yeah. Why is Dave on the podcast so much? This is a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> this makes a whole lot more sense now. I always wonder what these microphones are for. <laughs> He keeps getting in the uh, Hall of Fame, 13 episodes I in, know, Frank. Right. Don't, don't deny the fans. All right. Dave, we'll allow you to continue to guest. Thanks, Frank. As long as it's more than Pastor Mike. Yeah, just tell me what song he wants to do next and I'll be here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyone who could cover the song? Traditionally, it's Michael Bolton, but I think we're shifting a little bit here. Well, I think because of the, the song and the feel of it and its specific spot in particularly, I would say, late 90s pop culture lore and i will explain my decision here yeah. or, or my choice here this is quite the lead up i know right i think jewel could do a version of this oh yeah okay. there's jewelness to it yeah. okay but because there is a light playfulness about the song and jewel doesn't do light or playful no does she, she does it reminded me of a song that she did it was on a b-side of a, another one of those albums that i bought probably four copies of and it's called The Cold Song. The song is, do you want to catch a cold with me? So it implies that she wants to smooch with someone, but she has a cold. So it's about kissing, but it's a fun, light, playful song. I can't believe you made that joke in the age of COVID, Jewel and Frank. Okay, no, this happened before COVID, so it's okay. I got a version for you I have written here. Okay. This is in the total opposite direction. If this person were to sing the song, I feel it gives a whole new meaning to it. Tom Waits. Oh my goodness. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think the well, then, then the, it goes witchy. And squeeze box. I think he's playing oh, that squeeze okay, box yeah, while yeah. it's going through. But yeah, the witchy part. I think the witches don't mess with Tom Waits. Yeah, no. Yeah. I have a weird one and you gotta kinda go along a bit of a journey with me, but there's the breeders. Okay, yeah. If because you know at the beginning of Cannonball, yes. how they, they come in very sweet. Mm -hmm. If they maintain that then it would be interesting because they were kind of contemporaries. I think the breeders were a bit sooner than this, right? Yeah, they yeah. were like mid-90s. Yeah, they were like 93, 94. Sure. Yeah, but uh, it would just be interesting to hear, since we're talking about the 90s and girl bands and stuff yeah. like that, if they could. That was Kim Deal and Tanya Donnelly, yeah, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Kelly Deal, too. And, well, Kelly, right? yeah. It was yeah, like, yeah. A, yeah, all the girls from the Pixies. Yes, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. 
Oh, also, and I read this in the Wikipedia that they get a lot of comparisons to this band. But I have a, a story. I went to Peterborough one time and I heard Summertime by, by the oh, Sunday. Oh, that's such oh, a good song. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. but this is again, like this is in the nineties pre internet where you had, like you had to do the legwork and I searched forever to find out who sang that song. And I finally found it and it was the Sundays. So yeah. I think the Sundays could do a cover of this too. I'm surprised we didn't bring this up earlier, but other comparisons would be like 10,000 Maniacs. And both Matt Slocum and Lee Nash are currently in 10,000 Maniacs. It's crazy. It's they bonkers. joined 10,000 Maniacs last year and now they play six pence songs. And I imagine there's only a couple songs they're going to play. Yeah. Like the they're going to play the hits, right? But she fits in well with 10,000 yeah. Maniacs to some degree. It's like I mean, Gowan joining Sticks. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or Gary Sharon joining Van Halen. Uh, where are you most likely to hear this song? When I'm trying to steal a kiss from my best girl. Out in a farmer's field? In a farmer's field, Once yeah. the band starts going? Yeah. <laughs> the Fireflies are going to be playing it. It's on their radio. All right, let's talk about the mixtapes here. All Dave right. Kitchen, you are our guest, 13-time guest, which is a record. Actually, you're 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13 were records. Well, I... <laughs> 6, 5, and 4, I think. Yeah, I think after 4, he became the record holder. Right, right. Okay. So, uh, why don't you bring to us uh, your songs? Okay. So, this might be a little on the nose, but I've got a, a bunch of songs. I've got two categories. Uh, and one is about songs that deal with kisses, but it's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a journey. It's a bit of a roller coaster. So, first is Butterfly Kisses. By Bob Carlyle. Wow, you just put on like the worst song. Yeah. In the okay. history of the world. But, the, but this is the journey. <laughs> I, I, as yeah. you go on, I'm going to cross off the songs that were on my list and that was on my list. Okay. Wow. Okay. Sorry, friend. But, so, right. Butterfly Kisses. Wow. Butterfly Kisses. So we're starting. Tough start. We're, it's tough start. Yeah. And very ephemeral kisses, by the way. Yeah, just, yeah. just butterfly. Just, you barely even notice them. Song number two. Now we're getting more and more based in reality we're, we're creeping closer to to something real a kiss from a rose by oh, okay. seal mm. which i also was here for that podcast That's right. my second podcast ever i think or was it my first second second okay so now we've gone from butterflies to a kiss from a rose okay and then now the idea has stuck okay this person is getting more and more familiar with the idea of a kiss so now the kiss is on my list by, oh, by Hall and Oates. Nice, nice. Oh, that's coming off my list now. Okay, it's not on Frank's list, it's but it's on, on my list. It's on my imaginary characters' <laughs> list. Okay, but then, uh, like all romances, sometimes they don't work out. So then we go to you two for "Kiss Me, Kill Me." No, wait, what's the song? "Hold Me, Thrill Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me." There it is. So things aren't going well, right? So now there's, you know, it's it's taking a rockier turn. And then finally we end with Red Hot Chili Peppers, Suck My Kiss, because the person's <laughs> on their way out, and they're doing that thing that the guy at the end of Breakfast Club Oh, does, yes. just yeah, like, yeah, Suck yeah, My yeah, Kiss, and he's yeah. out. And that's it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that's- That's a the, great- that's, that's great. Thank you. Thank you. And then, so we were talking about the, the vocal fry thing. So I went oh. back to some mostly mid to early 90s singers, pre- um, vocal fry, but kind of in the same vein. So this isn't so much songs as it is acts. The Sundays I already mentioned. Sarah Sleen, Bully or Belly. Sorry, do you remember yeah. the? Yeah, remember yeah, the yeah. Band? Oh, Belly. I love Belly. Oh, I love yeah. it. Belly. Love that band. And then getting closer, but bringing in some Canadiana. Damn it, Doyle. Remember her song Tattoo or whatever? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
And then <laughs> Dave, you're speaking my language. Okay. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then lastly, more modern, but still sort of a pure voice. It doesn't have that fry in it is uh, Bass Your Bullet. Oh, yeah, yeah. Nice. Which one? So, uh, in the Night? Yeah. Any, and just, just them in general and how they, they're kind of the last of the voices that weren't fried. Okay. You want me to go? No, Bill, you go ahead. I have uh, a very long list that I've been crossing off. Okay. So I had originally opened with Summertime by the Sundays, but I knew it was going to be taken what? by you two at some point. Is, it, you is, have it, is your theme just oh, Sonic? Or? Yeah. Sonically, I want to be okay. generally female leads about a love that is pure and true. Gotcha. To quote, I, th- I think that's quoting a whole city lyric, actually, but either way. Uh, so it was Summertime by the Sundays opened it. Sunrise, Nora Jones. Oh, okay. And then As I Lay Me Down, Sophie B. Hawkins. Oh, yes, please. Here's a good one. Again, Janet Jackson. <gasps> yeah, yeah. And then I ended with Everywhere by Fleetwood Mac. Oh, oh nice. Yeah, yeah. And it was all just the fairies and fireflies and yeah. moonlight kisses. You're talking romantic Frank's language. <laughs> all right. So... Similar to Kitsch, I went with songs about smooching. We will start off with Till I Kissed Her by the Everly Brothers. Oh, going 50s. Mm-hmm. All right, good. Then He Kissed Me, oh, yeah. The Crystals. And that was in Adventures in Babysitting. That's right, yep. Future Bill and Frank's podcast on movies, on guilt-free movies. movies. Yep. Yes. This one's going to anger some people. Don't Talk, Just Kiss by Right Said Fred. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this Kiss... Faith Hill, one of the all-time greats. But we will finish my playlist with the ultimate song about smooching. Kiss the Girl by Samuel E. Wright from the Little Mermaid soundtrack. Well done. Yeah, nice. Nice, Frank. I want to thank Dave Kitchen for coming back for the 13th time to join us for this pretty amazing, not about witches, Valentine's song. Song all about smooching. Always a pleasure, gentlemen. Thanks for having me. So, dear listener, we thank you for enduring with us and listening to the podcast again. And we know that sometimes it takes us a long time to get to the point. If you follow the trail marked on your father's map, you can always find Bill and Frank's guilt-free pleasures. I was reading about the it's Squint yeah, Records, yes, Squint yeah. Entertainment. I was reading about that. And they they failed because they were trying to get into a partnership with AOL Time Warner. Oh, okay. Which might explain the AOL interview. Yeah. Wow. But, uh, I mean, if you had to pick a, a web browser to uh, or a web company in the 90s to choose from, you'd well, pick yeah. the wrong one. Oh, man. You got mail, right? <laughs> but right, was there any – what was the other – like, that was the one, wasn't was, it? AOL. Yeah, Netscape. Right. Oh, yeah. And Excel, I think, was one, wasn't it? Or Excite or something like yeah, that? Yeah, something Excite. like that. Yeah. Yeah.
But Yahoo was around in the... Yeah, I had a Yahoo. Yeah. What was your Yahoo email? Oh, no, I had a Hotmail. And what was yours? Am I... uh, Can you say it on the podcast? I've already said so many embarrassing things on the podcast. Might as well add to it. Yeah, it's a rant underscore n underscore roar at hotmail.com. So it was rant and roar. Yeah, yeah, and I mine was Hurricane Hauser. Was it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because right. that was the name of our fake professional wrestling. Well, well that I, was the name of your fake professional wrestler. Yeah, that's right. And we were in the well, kind of close to to Sixpence. It was a Christian wrestling yeah, federation, the ICWF, the yeah. Inter Christian Wrestling Federation. <laughs> it ended with the handshake. All the matches yeah. <laughs> that's you won by like baking peace. Yeah. By extending fellowship. And this was imaginary, you say. <laughs> it's going to shock you, but Frank and I were very single. <laughs> I'm still very single. Am I still in the federation that I don't know about? Send your request for a date with Frank to rantandroar at hotmail.com. <laughs>